questions. Always. Should I have a twisted tea? No, those are for tomorrow. Okay. Those are to reset this horrible, shitty year. That's for humanity. <laughs> we have to drink the alcohol to save the world. Matu Ferrata Nectar. Okay. and welcome to the last episode of Don't Touch That It's Haunted for the whole year. What do you think that means? I don't know. It couldn't be a clue. Couldn't be a hint about today's topic. So this is a podcast where we talk about all manner of spooky, macabre, and taboo subjects. I'm Grayson. With me again is Adam. Hey, guys. How's your week going? It's been a wild week. Yeah. We lost a member of the family. We did. Yeah, one of our one of our friends' puppies was, uh, well, she wasn't a Well, how old was she? Two or three. Two or three. Uh, she she went to doggy heaven, um, and we're all taking it pretty fucking hard. So she was a sweet, sweet little baby girl. Her name was Sassy, and she was cute and fluffy and uh, real chill. Compared yeah. to the other two little monsters that they have. Yep. She uh, she always loved, she always loved a good cuddle. Oh, she loved a good cuddle. Good play. Uh, she gave birth to one litter of puppies. Yeah. Oh, and they were darn cute. We still have one of them in the family. Yeah, yeah. Jake and Ashley Cooper. took little Cooper. So, yeah, that's not... <laughs> then we had a snowstorm. We did. I'm telling you, 2020 is not going out with us. Yeah. It's like, hang on, let me take some things with me. But, so yeah, uh, as we're recording this, it is uh, December 30th, so. Woot, 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 woot. So I saw, I saw a meme the other day, and I've never believed anything more in my life. And it was basically like, no one say that 2021 is going to be their year. We're going to tiptoe into this thing very quietly. Don't touch anything. Don't look at anything. And I think that's what, because so many people last year were like, yeah, 2020 is going to be my year. I'm going to travel. I'm going to get all this shit done. And that's what I said. I was like, I'm going to have all these experiences and I'm going to save up my money and I'm going to travel and this is going to be my fucking year. Well, <laughs> all my experiences were canceled. All 2020 my hit you with a twisted T. Mm -hmm. I think... I don't, want, I don't I want to jinx anything. I feel like that Twisted Tea reset a bunch of shit. I feel like that's what we need. We all needed that. We all needed that. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Uh, so, only two minutes of tangent. That's not bad for us. So today, uh, this, is, this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about basically since the inception of this podcast. Um. I just haven't done it yet, uh, but today I'm going to ruin one of Adam's favorite movies, The Greatest Showman, and I'm going to tell you about freak shows. I'm going to make you hate P.T. Barnum. I already do. I know a little bit. Yeah, because, uh, spoiler alert, it's nothing like the movie. So... You good? I caught it. Oh, thank you. The, okay, so I was working out earlier, and uh, Boo Bradley and Scout were playing underneath the tree, and I think he like he pulled one of the cords or something, and the tree started to fall over. And mid-dance workout, I reached out, grabbed it, and put oh it back, God. and kept dancing. And then I stopped because a bunch of ornaments fell on the floor, but I was a ninja. A ninja? A Christmas ninja. Christmas is over, babe. A New Year's ninja. Well, yeah. Sneaking into the new year. But you saved the trees. So. I did. I did. Christmas ninjas don't stop being Christmas ninjas just because it's not Christmas. That's fair. It's just like Santa. Mm. Santa's always Santa. Mm -hmm. Except for when he's working for the U.S. government. Watch, fat man. <laughs> okay. 
So I got all my information off Wikipedia. What else is new? Um, all right. So here we go. The historical traditions of freak shows and exhibitions date back to the reign of England's Elizabeth I. As early as the 16th century, severe physical deformities and abnormalities were no longer deemed as bad omens or evidence of evil spirits residing within a person. Those with unusual physical characteristics became a public curiosity and were shuttled throughout Europe under the guidance of a show manager. Ooh. Ooh. Individuals who can be classified as freak show performers, also called human curiosities, were present in America as early as 1738, but they were not highly professionalized and they appeared more often in the context of scientific lectures than the theatrical performance. Oh, so we had freak shows before we had America? Yes, I guess. <laughs> That's what it's telling me. Um, in fact, early freak shows occupied a very general category that could refer to non-theatrical exhibits such as fetuses in jars or exotic or deformed animals, as well as exhibitions of humans. Yeah. So it's some very scientific stuff. Um, shows of the early 19th century that are today considered freak shows were known at the time as Rari, rar, r a r e e. All right. Rar, rar, rare. I don't know. Uh, pit shows or kid shows. That's nice. Yeah. For the kids. For the kids. See some uh, horrible, not horrible stuff, but yeah, stuff that might scare them, right? Uh, freak show did not come into use until close to the end of the 19th century. After the death of the American showman, P.T. Barnum. Barnum is not known to have used the term himself. And I don't think that they use it in the movie, except for when the horrible townspeople are like, freaks! Right. But Because he calls it curiosities, and I think when they go to England, she calls them curiosities. But anyway, we need to watch that movie again. That's a feel-good movie based on a horrible story. Yeah. I love that fucking movie. Um, yeah, da, 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 da. the term freak appears to be, we're recording a podcast. Why do you have a bag of gummy bears right by the, you ate some <laughs> before we were recording. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. The term freak <laughs> appear, please excuse me while I chew this sour gummy bear. The term freak appears to be descended from the old English freakin, uh, which means to dance. Freaking signified cavorting, said movement, or capricious behavior. During the Enlightenment in Europe and its attendant effort at biological classification during the 18th century, as naturalists and others attempted to find specific categories for all life forms, organisms that failed to match a perceived species average were often referred to as lucis natura cavorts or freaks of nature. So I butchered some of those words, but you get the idea. In the 19th century, freak shows and novelty acts caught the imagination of a larger viewing public willing to pay for the opportunity to witness human medical oddities. It became a booming business as people with phys physical abnormalities grew into a highly profitable market, specifically in England and the United States. Small American freak shows first started to spring up in 1829, around the time of the arrival of Cheng and Ang, the original Siamese twins. An American sideshow began, began hitting its stride in the 1840s. Uh, English versions gained sim similar popularity. The Victorian era is often viewed as the heyday of the freak show. Um, likewise, in 1841, Barnum purchased Shutter's American Museum in New York City. That moment is considered the beginning of the golden age of the freak show and its performers which would persist until the 1940s. Ooh. So you can see that in uh, in the movie. He gets that, uh, what is it, 
Barnum's Museum of Oddities or Curiosities or some shit. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And he's got the giraffe that the girls aren't allowed to climb on. Right. And the pickpocket guy. <gasps> yeah. That guy may or may not be an outlander. I've never looked it up, but every time I see him, I'm like, that guy might be an outlander. All right. Yeah. Uh, these shows contained various forms of entertainment in one evening. Ten-in-one shows displayed ten freaks on a platform in front of an audience as people slowly walked past them. Every now and then, a magician would be thrown into the mix to give the crowd a brief respite from some of the more unsettling abnormalities they were witnessing. However, not all performers were, quote, natural freaks born with physical deformities. Some were performance artists who had unusual talents, such as fire eating, sword swallowing, or full body tattoos. Ooh. Some shows were regarded as... I met that guy. His name is Randall. What guy? Full body tattooed. I'm just joking about how I know. Oh, I, was, I know. I know a lot of people with a lot of tattoos on their body. I don't think I know anyone full body, but I know. I guess it's true. I don't know. I don't know the guy, the teacher who tattooed his eyeballs. Oh my god. He got fired. Which oh is my god. Why? Why would you? Why? Just why? Why? It's, it's a thing. Get on the internet. I know it's a thing. It's very, very dangerous. It like. Okay, who wakes up one morning and says, you know what I really want to do? Tattoo my eyeballs. I mean, if you read the article, it sounded like you planned this for a while. I think you woke up and was like, all right, today's the day I'm going to tattoo my eyeballs. All right. Where was I? Uh, Some shows were regarded as inappropriate for women and children and were categorized as, quote, men-only performances. These often exclude, uh, included, um, okay, content warning, skip ahead about 10 seconds if you don't want to hear about, uh, how do I say it without saying what the, what the thing is? Baby type things. <laughs> okay, uh, these often included the display of exotic or unnatural objects such as pickled punks, which were abnormal fetuses preserved in glass jars. Ooh. Just, yeah, all right. I didn't, it just just sounds like who would want to look at that? It just sounds depressing. Do you know that we've been to a museum where we saw a bunch of dead bodies, right? Not like this, though. <laughs> those were like no. This it's shoved in a jar. Like those right. were those were displayed and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in 1860, the human curiosity appearing in a museum on a legitimate stage or in a carnival sideshow, a side so named because they required a separate fee or entry from the main circus or carnival midway. I didn't know that. That's why they're called sideshows. That's pretty cool. There you go. Um, they had become one of the chief attractions for American audiences because Sorry. we Americans like some weird shit. We always have, always will. That's God bless this state, United States. Country. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a really long day. Um, a big reason for the popularity of these shows in America is that this was right around the time of the Industrial Revolution. So many people were working these labor-intensive hours, and they sought new forms of entertainment to take their minds off their hardships of fin- oh, and financial woes. For a small fee, they could enter a world of medical wonders and human oddities, unlike anything they'd ever seen. In an age where scientific reasoning started overshadowing traditional religious values and Medicinal advancements claimed stories of miraculous and life-saving surgeries. Freak shows introduced the average layman to medicine and science, while enthralling them with tales of exotic locales and mysterious people discovered via colonial expansion. I see you real slow trying to get into the gummy bears, and I appreciate you, sir. So, the showman. That's the, the title of this Ooh, section. The Showman. The Showman. I wonder who it's about. It's probably about uh, Paul Revere. That's my guess. Oh, it's a good guess. Mm. 
The showman was an essential component to the freak show. His talent was in the ability to recruit a person with an unusual disfigurement, disability, or talent and use them as an attraction. A showman would often have an alter ego, a stage persona that became a public identity that his audience could recognize. Showmen rarely allowed their freaks to be seen before the show in order to preserve the element of shock and surprise. I am shocked and surprised. (laughs) The larger-than-life personalities of Victorian-era showmen became an art form in and out of itself as they created narrative... as they created narrative histories for each of their freaks in order to create drama and heighten the excitement in the audience. So kind of like that scene in Greatest Showman where like they're lining up and he's like, oh, this is what we're going to. And the one guy's like 500 pounds. And he's like 900 pounds. And then they give the giant stilts and oh. all that stuff. Um, and he's like from Russia and they call him the Irish giant. As England's Tom, quote, the Silver King, unquote, Norman, later wrote in his memoir, The Penny Showman, quote, it was not the show, it was the tale you told. The average showman was also often susceptible to the spread of the occasional lie in order to swindle a little extra guest from the crowd. In an attempt to avoid any damage to the reputation of their exhibits, showmen often resisted having doctors visit their performers for fear that a diagnosis of the freak's ailment or a classification of their deformity would ruin the appeal of the show. That's fucking awful. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, people, man. Well, mm. this is before politically correct. Way before. Well, even today with political correctness, people are still horrible. Well, yeah. You can't fix stupid. And, yeah. Um, Their condition would appear less mysterious or exotic if given a medical definition and the public would lose interest. Contrary to popular belief, freaks were rarely mistreated by the showmen who controlled their schedules. I think that uh, not allowing a doctor to see you might be considered mistreatment, but that's just me. Right. I mean, that's nice, though, that they're not, like, feeding them and shit. Um, It was common practice for poor tradesmen to rent out their stores for the display of oddities. uh, Some showmen would rent the shops of small businesses for a few days, erecting a small stage or a large curtain inside. By the latter half of the 19th century, London's West End appeared to be a revolving door of exhibitions featuring freaks and novelty acts. It became a permanent fixture at entertainment venues around the city. Around the city. The whole city. Oh, my God. I know. All right. Popular freaks. Um, So this is uh, some, some of your favorites from The Greatest Showman. Oh. Um, so there's a lot of very famous um, curiosity and oddity performers. So some of these were real people. Yes, I, I believe that every every one of the performers portrayed in um, The Greatest Showman was like a real freak show performer. Except Zac Efron. He wasn't a performer. Well, he was a showman, which means his talent. He was a was, showman. His, yeah. I'm learning. Yeah, Zac Efron was not real. He was based on two people. But Zac Efron, if you're listening to this, you are real. Zac Efron is one of the realists. Real realists, realistists. He's real. <laughs> so, um, freaks were often perceived as apprehensive, docile, and unhappy with their lot in life. In many cases, during the Victorian era, nothing could be further from the truth. Many defended themselves against their managers, talking back and demanding raises. You go. Yeah. Um, as early as 1851, it had become popular to sell trading cards of popular freaks throughout England Ooh, and the cool. U.S. That's super cool. So they were the first. They were the were first they, uh, did they predate baseball cards? Well, I'm sure baseball cards wasn't the first. I mean, that just makes sense. But yeah, that's, that's cool. pretty fucking cool. All right, you go. 
uh, profits from these images went straight into the pockets of the performers themselves, as opposed to the showmen. Some of the more willing performers, like Sprague, even penned their own biographies to be published in freak show pamphlets. Although showmen and freaks would often split the profits from ticket sales and money made off of pamphlets or cards, the client was better off in the end. While the showmen had to pay for store rentals, heating, and lighting, profits given to the sideshow performers went straight into their hands. It was not uncommon for freaks to be better off in terms of wealth than the majority of the public who came to see them. Look at that. They're celebrities. I mean, that makes sense because they don't... I, I think most of them were, like, housed by the yeah. you know, showmen, so they don't have to pay for anything. They're, look at that. They're That's the, awesome. They're the first uh, TV actors. Yeah. All right, so Annie Jones. Well, that's not true. There were plays before that. Take that back, Dick. Yeah, plays are like one of the oldest. Yeah, scrap that line. It was misinformed. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, Annie Jones, also known as the Bearded Lady. One of history's most recognized freak show performers, Annie Jones's career as a sideshow attraction began when she was featured at P.T. Barnum's American Museum at age one. So, Shit, child labor laws. So, this is the 1800s. We didn't have those. <laughs> Even if you're one, you're going on You're going to go perform. To be fair, we do that to babies now. That's true. Yeah, we just we were like, okay, you can only do it for a couple hours. And, well, now we have laws. Oh, yeah. And she probably had to do it like all day. Oh, yeah. Um, after a short but very successful stint at the museum, Barnum offered Jones's parents a three-year contract for the girl at $150 a week. While under the care of Barnum's appointed nanny, Jones was kidnapped by a New York phrenologist who attempted to exhibit Jones in his own sideshow. She was found quickly in upstate New York, where the phrenologist claimed Jones to be his child. When the matter went to court, Jones ran into the arms of her parents. The judge called the case closed, and Jones's mom remained close to her daughter for the rest of her career. Jones, whose genetic condition that caused extensive, ex eh, excessive amount of hair um, remains unknown to this day, would become as well known for her musical skills as for her bearded face. Outside the circus, Jones was married twice, uh, the second time widowed, before becoming ill during a visit to her mother's home in Brooklyn. There, she passed away from tuberculosis in 1902 at the age of 37. Yeah. Oh. That's actually a pretty decent life. That's a very decent that life. Age, yeah. I mean, uh, minus the kidnapping and the death by tuberculosis, but. No, I just mean the, like, 37. Is that, like, kind of an average lifespan at that age? Or that year? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. Not, like average but close yeah yeah i think that's i think that's the equivalent of right of hearing that a 79 year old died of covid right now yeah probably so probably it's like they could have lived longer if they didn't have this but mm -hmm. they also had a pretty good run right that's who uh jack earl the world's tallest man i love that name big strong name big strong jack Earl. i i, I believe it's earl it's E-A-R-L-E, -E, so it might be early. I'm going to say Earl. Sorry if it's wrong. Uh, standing six feet tall before the age of 10 and growing to over seven feet tall by the age of 13, Jack Earl was always a giant. Oh, he died before 37. I bet he did. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> so, <laughs> there. You want to put money down on that? No, I uh, don't now. There are conflicting reports as to his true height, but numbers range from 7'7 to 8'6. Earl had been a Hollywood actor. He appeared in films like Hansel and Gretel and Jack and the Beanstalk. Wait, what? When was this? Oh. So this isn't like P.T. Barnum. Well, yeah, okay. you're just going to listen. I was rules. thinking, yeah, I was thinking of the guy from the, okay, so this is my fault. All right, so um, he appeared in films like Hansel and Gretel and Jack and the Beanstalk, 
before a fall from a scaffolding led to major injuries and temporary blindness, causing him causing his retirement from the movie industry. Oh, that's so sad. Soon after his accident, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus Freak Show came through town with Jim Tarver as their current traveling giant. Earl was considerably larger than Tarver, and Ringling Brothers, seeing an opportunity, offered Earl a one-year contract with the circus. Earl had said he never wanted to be in a freak show, but he needed to make a living, so he signed the contract. He would spend the next 14 years on the road with the sideshow. The gentle giant began his Ringling Brothers career alongside two foot two inch tall Major Might, uh, real name Clarence Chesterfield Howerton. That is a name. Now say it with an accent. What kind of accent? British, of course. I can't do a British accent. What's no, it? you can't do a British accent. I did a whole play. Where is it? It's down, it's down there somewhere. Clarence Chesterfield Hoverton. Ooh, okay, that was actually really good. I could do it for like three seconds. I got you. Um, on his first day, Earl was put at ease when circus midget Harry Dahl explained that there were more freaks in the audience than there were in the sideshow platform. I, Look at these heartwarming that's so stories. Heartwarming. Um, after retiring, Earl, who suffered from Okay, here's a word. Acromagalic giantism. Went on to become a traveling salesman for the Roma Wine Company. Oh, go you, Jack. Go you. He died of kidney failure in 1952 at the age of 46. Oh, man. To be fair, if it was in the same, because this was like 100 years later, so... Yeah, they're probably at the same age, but still, those giants, they just don't live right. long. Or no, I guess this was only 50 years after she died, but still. I still think that yeah. is significant. Right. They fought a world war at that point, too! Yeah! <laughs> um. All right, I'm going to mispronounce this name, and I'm sorry. Feder Jeftichu, um, also known as Jojo the Dogface Boy. Um. I actually vaguely have heard of him. Well, he's. I'm pretty sure that he's in the in the movie too. I was like, that's it. I think I actually oh. just generally like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's been. Uh, that that's a common one when uh, movies like portray sideshows and stuff. That's a really common one hmm. that they do. Good to know. Um. Do 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 do. He was born in 1868. Jojo the dog face boy was a framed was a famed freak show performer from Russia, brought to the U.S. at age 16 by P.T. Barnum. Jeff Dechu was born with hereditary hyprotrichosis, also known as werewolf syndrome. Oh, of course. Which causes an extensive, uh, excessive, I can't say that word today. Excessive. Thank you. Amount of hair growth over the entire body, billed as, quote, the most prodigious Paragon of all prodigies secured by P.T. Barnum in over 50 years. That's a a good use of alliteration. That was beautiful. I almost couldn't say it. Uh, Jeff DeChew would sometimes bark and snarl at the assembled patrons, while other times he was well-spoken. The New York Herald once described him as being as playful as a puppy with his audiences and, quote, the most absorbingly interesting curiosity to ever reach these shores, unquote. Pneumonia, pneumonia took Jeff Dechu on January 31st, 1904 in Greece. He was only 35. When news of his passing reached the United States, he was mourned by fans and other sideshow performers all over the country. This is so That's sad, nice. but they were literally actors. Like, like listen to that. No, like, for sure. <laughs> like, for sure. Like, you, I guarantee some of those other freak show acts were like, mm-hmm. I performed with JoJo once. And he yeah. Had... <laughs> like, all the same. For real, though. I mean, it was early entertainment before movies and yeah. stuff. Um, Chang and Ang Bunker, the Siamese twins. I had a feeling. You said Chang and Ang, and I was like, Chang wait a minute. Chang and Ang. <laughs> Feels like they go together. Yeah. 
1829, a Scottish merchant named Robert Hunter saw a strange sight in the water while visiting the <laughs> kingdom of Siam. Did that get you? They were swimming. Were they swimming? I think they were swimming. <laughs> a Scottish guy. Oh, what is now called... Oh, so, so they were in the kingdom of Siam, what is now called Thailand. Two boys conjoined at the sternum were taking a swim together. <laughs> I just uh, take that, a moment. That, that, that Scottish guy Robbie, Robbie was just probably like, "What on earth? <laughs> I've heard of mermaids, but what is what is going on?" <laughs> probably very confused. Um, also, they're conjoined at the sternum. I'm very. How are they swimming? Like, are they just, are they, are they standing in the water? Like kind of maybe treading? Like, are they, cause they can't be doing like the breaststroke or anything like that. Like, how are you? You don't know that. I don't know that. You're right. I don't know I that. I mean, I'm sure. How old are they at this point? I don't know. I'm sure that if they they're, are. They're adults. boys. Oh, well, boys. I'm sure they've learned to adapt to different swimming styles and walking styles. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you're very, very right. Um. Hunter saw an opportunity to make a profit. He tracked down their parents and paid them to exhibit their children as a curiosity on tour, on a tour of the world as the Siamese twins. The brothers toured for three years doing backflips back and playing badminton for adoring audiences. When they turned 21, the brothers ended their contract with Hunter, determined to live a normal life. That's nice. They bought a plantation in North Carolina. Less nice. Mary, well, I'm pretty sure they're Asian, baby. You don't think Asian people are well, slaves? Okay. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's normally white you're, people. You're, you're, you're right. Um, they uh, married a pair of sisters and became American citizens. Between the two of them, they, f oh my God. Between the two of them, they fathered 21 children. The real American dream. Okay. Okay. Let's think about this for a moment. They're still conjoined at the sternum. We don't have headphones at this point. Oh, my God. Like, they can't drown anything I out. Just, like, how? I'm not even going to think about it. Okay, 21 You Get it. Get it. Damn. Um, in 18... Whoo! I need to start reading my research this before a, I... This is a sitcom right here. Oh how, my how do you... Well, isn't that a movie with uh, oh, I have no idea. Matt Damon and... Fuck, what's that guy's name? Is it like Stuck on You or something like that? Oh, Stuck on You is a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I feel like they, uh, they handled something like this in Grey's Anatomy, and it was two, like, adult conjoined twins, and uh, one of them had a girlfriend, but when he was asleep, she would talk to the brother and they ended up like falling in love. I think and, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. That was a good episode. Um, all right. So they got 21 kids by God in 1874. Chang suffered a stroke and died in his sleep. Ang awoke the next morning to find his brother dead. By the time a doctor arrived to perform an emergency separation, Aang had passed away as well. Oh my god. It happens. That's so fucking sad. Oh, that's so sad. How old are they? Um, I don't know. I got it. Keep talking. Okay. Well, so uh, they were discovered in 1829, and they were boys. Um... Fuck what it so like maybe somewhere in their sixties, seventies. Okay. So no, I lied to you. Fifties or sixties. Okay. Anyway. Moving on. Yeah, oh. they died at sixty-two. Oh, that's so sad. Well, they lived a good long life and together they had twenty-one children. So oh, and it tells me exactly how many oh. children each of them fathered. Oh, please tell me. Chang did ten. Okay. Ang the overachiever did 11. Wow. I just, I don't, mm. you know, there are all types of lifestyles and families. I just don't understand some of them. And that's fine. Do what you got to do, boo. Okay, moving on. Charles Sherwood Stratton, otherwise known as General Tom. Oh, Lund. look at that. You can swim like that. 
Oh, okay. It said at the stern. Okay, I'm looking at a picture of them. So it's, it, I mean, technically it looks like at the sternum, but it looks like mostly it's side to side. I'm thinking they're straight on like chest to chest. Well, I was thinking back to back. What do you think your sternum is? Oh, yeah, it's right here. <laughs> but yeah, we'll post a picture of them. Uh, we'll probably post a picture of all of these people. So, How did you think they were having sex if they were chest to chest? That's what I was wondering. That's what I was so confused about. Because I was like, they're sternum to sternum. What's happening here? But, oh. This just is a little bit more possible. I was so confused. It's still, it's still, I don't want to say weird because, again, there are other lifestyles don't that I don't Don't you judge how they had to get their rocks off? I just like it's 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 different. I just want to understand it. And, and don't shame their wives either. Don't kink shame. I'm not kink shaming. I just <laughs> I, I'm curious as to how it works. Is there a system in place? Are there ground rules? Is there a sheet involved? I just want to know. I just want to know. Oh my goodness! All right, Charles Sherwood Stratton, uh, General Tom Thumb, who of course is in the movie. Although Charles Sherwood Stratton was an otherwise healthy child, he stopped growing at six months when he was only two feet tall. Soon, P.T. Barnum caught wind of the extraordinary child. Are you trying to get a gummy bear? Just get a gummy bear. Just get a gummy bear. Okay. Um... He caught wind of the child whose parents had taught him how to sing, dance, and impersonate celebrities. He offered to pay Stratton $3 per week to be displayed in his already extremely popular freak show. After an offer his parents couldn't refuse. Uh, after a performance for Queen Victoria, Stratton became an instant celebrity. He toured with Barnum Circus for three years, encountering mobs of fans wherever he went. His appearance made him wealthy, but he didn't retire. Instead, continued to tour into adulthood. Eventually, he and his wife settled in Massachusetts, where he ultimately died at the age of 45. More than, oh, more than 10,000 people attended his funeral. This is, uh, this is so heartwarming, man. Yeah, this is is unusual for this podcast. This is some good feelings. All right, let me bring it down now. P.T. Barnum. Can you tell me what it stands for? This fucking guy, uh, P.T. Patrick? Nope. PD? No. That one doesn't make sense. Uh, pathetic <laughs> troll? Pathetic troll. No. Um, I wanted to double check before I say it out loud, but it's not on here. It's, uh, it's Phineas, and I think it's Tiberius. Oh, I knew that. I actually did know Phineas. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong about Tiberius, but I think it is. Are you looking it up? I am. I got you. Phineas Taylor. That's what it... Phineas Taylor brought... That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. Get ready for me to ruin the movie for you. Are you ready? Real quick. Just look look at a picture. That's Hugh Jackman. That's Hugh Jackman. The likeness is uncanny. Uncanny. If you can't tell, we're being incredibly sarcastic. (laughs) I'll put it on the Instagram. Um... (laughs) He is widely credited with coining the adage, there's a sucker born every minute, which is true. Yeah. There's a lot of gullible people in the world. It's true. There's people out there that think they can say the N-word over and over and over again. If you do that, you're going to get slapped in the face with a twisted T. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just real quick. Yes. I just want to think that twisted T... Owes that man so much. I like to think that that man was actually in front of the cooler for a good five minutes trying, trying to, to figure out what he wanted, what he was gonna drink. It's like just, I'm gonna get a twisted tea. Am I in a twisted tea mood? Am I in a a Coors Light? What, yeah. Well, what am I thinking? You know what? Well, think. Let's do a twisted. Tea. You went to go get twisted tea today, and you said they were like sold out of all the packs. Yeah. Like they're almost sold out of all the tall boys. Damn, that's what I'm saying. They can afford to give this guy a year's supply of twisted tea. Um, 
Oh, uh, so there's actually no proof that he actually ever said that phrase. Ah, is it kind of like elementary Mayor Watson? Yes. So, yeah, he probably said something like it, but um, he grew up in the antebellum north. By the time he was 25, he had tried working as a lottery manager, a shopkeeper, and a newspaper editor. He was living in New York City, employed at a boarding home and in a grocery store, and he was hungry for a money-making gimmick. He wrote in his 1855 autobiography, The Life of P.T. Barnum, quote, I had long fancied that I could succeed if I could only get a hold of a public exhibition, unquote. It was then in 1835, Barnum took his first real dip into showmanship at age 25 when he purchased the rights to, quote, rent a blind, almost completely paralyzed black woman by the name of Joyce Heath. Uh, whom he had, whom an acquaintance was trumpeting around Philadelphia as the 161-year-old former nurse of George Washington. With Heath, he saw an opportunity to strike it rich. Though slavery was outlawed in Pennsylvania and New York at the time, a loophole allowed him to lease her for a year for $1,000 borrowing $500 to complete the sale. This motherfucker got a loan to rent a person. Yeah. Jesus. You can't buy people, but you can rent Oh them. my God, he got a loan. Somebody, I'm assuming that he went to the bank. Maybe he just borrowed from, from a person, but I'd like to think that he went to the bank and sat down, had a little briefcase, a little tie on. And a little he's plan like, of what he's going to yeah, do with like, this guy. As you can see by these documents I've laid before you. And they were like, yes, this is something I can invest in. And Here's they, your money, sir. They had an oversized stamp to stamp the <laughs> Approved. <laughs> um, it's a story that the greatest showman, which presents Barnum as a smooth talking Harold Hill type lovable con, doesn't address. Hugh Jackman's Barnum would never be a person comfortable purchasing an enslaved woman to turn a tidy profit. Rewrite the stars indeed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's such a good song. And it's uh, Zac Efron and Zendaya, and they're, they're, they're doing the ropes. They're doing the ropes. Uh, there's a really great um, blooper of them doing that, and they're doing the part where they're like the ropes intertwine and they're like circling around each other and they just smack into each other. It's Ouch. really funny. It's really funny. Also, uh, Zach Efron is her celebrity crush. Oh, that's cute. I know. Um, Benjamin Reese, professor and chair of English at Emory University, quote, the story of his life that we chose, that we choose to tell is in part the story that we choose to tell about American culture, unquote. That's very interesting. Um, we choose to erase things or dance around touchy subjects and present a kind of feel-good story, or we can use it as an opportunity to look at very complex and troubling histories that our culture has been grappling with for centuries. That's very true. Yeah. We, uh... We sugarcoat a lot in this country. Um, so with Heath, this woman, Barnum proved himself capable of being nimble enough to dip and swerve, playing up different stories of her to appeal to different audiences across the Northeast. Heath, of course, was not alive uh, in George Washington's time. Whether Barnum believed the fable, frankly, does not really matter. While he later claimed he did, he wasn't above making up his own myths about Heath to attract people to see her. He once planted a story that claimed the enslaved woman wasn't even a person at all. What was she? Uh, when she died in February 1836, rather than let her go in peace, Barnum had one more act up his sleeve. He drummed up a final public spectacle hosting a live autopsy in New York in a New York salon. Oh, fuck this guy. There, 1,500 spectators paid 50 cents to see the dead woman cut up, quote, revealing 
that she was likely no more than 80 years old. Fuck P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like in the movie, Barnum had American Museum, where more than 4,000 visitors poured per day to browse some 850,000 interesting curiosities at the price of 25 cents a trip. The fake and real commingled in the space with imported exotic live animals mixing alongside hoaxes. The first of which Bartum introduced in 1842, a creature with the body of a monkey and the tail of a fish known as the Fiji mermaid. He leased it from fellow museum owners, Moses Kimball of Boston, who had become his friend, confidant, and collaborator. Barnum justified his hoaxes by saying they were advertisements to draw attention to the museum. Quote, I don't believe in duping the public, but I believe in first attracting and then pleasing them, unquote. He followed the mermaid by by exhibiting Charles Stratton, the little person called General Tom Thumb. Uh, who was then four years old, but was stated to be 11. With heavy coaching and natural talent, the boy was taught to imitate people from Hercules to Napoleon. He was drinking wine by age five and smoking cigars by age seven for the public's amusement. Same. (laughs) During... Um, During 1844 to 1845, he toured with General Tom Thumb in Europe and met Queen Victoria, who was amused but saddened by the little man, and the event was a public coup. It opened the doors to visits from royalty throughout Europe, including the Tsar of Russia, and enabled Barnum to acquire dozens of new attractions, including aromatons and mechanical marvels. During this time, he went on a spending spree and bought other museums, including artist Rembrandt's Pillay's Museum in Philadelphia, uh, the nation's first major museum. By late 1846, Barnum's museum was drawing 400,000 visitors a year. Oh! Oh my God. I know, so he was doing something, right? Um, it was, or America's doing something very wrong. Um, that sounds more likely. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just a little upset with the state of the world and it's coming out very, I've been very, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Like harsh and snippy lately. And I'm sorry about it. Um, so it was because of this bipartisan mass audience he built through such displays, which preyed on ideas of African inferiority and racial othering that Barnum then decided to throw his hat into the political ring. Bam! Sounds about you right. You thought he was it done. Right. He is the original Donald Trump. All right. During his successful run for the Connecticut General Assembly yep. in 1865, something changed, however. He began to express a novel sympathy and regret about the subjugation of African Americans or at least to approach civil rights matters at the end of the Civil War with a new, somewhat softer version of racial part, pat, pat, patronalism. There are words I can't say today. And I'm I, sorry I don't know how to it. feel about that. He was racist yeah. pretty much his entire life, and now he's like, you know what? I was wrong. Hmm. 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 If only we could draw parallels to uh, some political... We're not going to talk about politics, except for when it when the Wikipedia tells me to. So, <laughs> during a failed run for Congress, he even, quote, confessed during a campaign speech that while living in the South, he had owned slaves himself, um, actions he since regretted. Quote, I did more. I... I did more. I whipped my slaves. I ought to have been whipped a thousand times for this myself. But by then, I was a Democrat. One of those nondescript Democrats who are northern men with southern principles. Now, of course, at this time, when he says Democrat, he means what we know today as Republican. 
They switched. They switched. So yeah, that's uh, that's P.T. Barnum. Let's talk about freak shows today. Ooh. Because uh, remember, they, the heyday died down in like the 40s. Um, today, while you can still find the occasional freak show, the performers are generally ones who, with, this is some bad grammar. The performers are generally ones with extreme body modifications, such as tattoos or piercings, or those that can execute astonishing physical performances like fire eating and sword swallowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, there was, oh, I'm going to talk about this guy in a minute, but like uh, yo-yo performers and stuff like that. So basically just like acts that you can't see anywhere else. So right? America's got talent. Essentially. Well, they, they have a lot of sideshow performers going yeah. there. Like that guy that got shot with an arrow on stage. Yeah. You remember that? Because he, he had a target in his mouth. And is well, they kept calling her his wife, but they were like, "We're not married. We're just together," because yeah, they're gonna, whatever. Um, so he he had basically it was like he was sword swallowing, but it was there was a target on the end of it, and he bent over, and she was gonna shoot the target with a flaming arrow. And on live TV, she accidentally shot him in the shoulder, and he had to put it out real quick, but he couldn't freak out because he had this pole going down his esophagus. Dude was fine. Dude was totally, totally fine. Yeah, it's but... a common misconception with arrows that if uh, you're shot with an arrow, you die. That's from movies like right. Lord of the Rings. In reality, if you're shot with an arrow, you have a very convenient way to stop the blood from coming out. Yeah. Because it... Plugs it. Plugs it. Um, okay, so this comes from uh, the Coney Island Circus sideshow page from ConeyIsland.com. Mm -hmm. Oh, Sideshows by the Seashore is the last permanently housed not-for-profit venue in the USA where you can experience the thrill of a traditional 10-in-1 circus sideshow. They're here. They're real. They're alive. Freaks, wonders, and human curiosities. Ooh. So that's their, that's their thing. Um, we perform continuous admission, and we are conveniently located at the world-famous Coney Island Amusement Park. Think about it, folks. The 10-in-1 Circus Sideshow is another Coney Island gift to culture along with other Brooklyn Beach inventions like the hot dog, the roller coaster. Established by Coney Island, USA in 1985, where else would you find the world's first professional non-profit theater dedicated to keeping alive the American Sideshow? So, um, like most things in the world, they are currently closed due to the COVID, but uh, they're very excited to do um, their, their summer stuff in 2021. So they're hoping to resume then. Um, so if you're planning a trip to Coney Island after uh, COVID shuts down, you should check them out. It actually sounds pretty cool. Um, they do a sideshow summer school. I think it's mostly for children, um, but you can learn the acts that make sideshow performers the envy of stages around Ooh. the world. I think I would have loved that as a kid. You would. I would have absolutely loved that. Um, so their past performers have included Ray Valens, a sword swallower and fire eater. Uh, Betty Bloomers, with a Z, a sword swallower and fire eater. Princess Pat Muko, who uh, her uh, Instagram page just says singer, musician, sideshow performer, so it doesn't really say exactly what she does. Um, Alejandro Dubois, uh, who is billed as the Puerto Rican pyrotechnic pain-proof practitioner. <gasps> There's some alliteration for you. Yeah, there you go, guys. Um, Zoe Zeigfeld. Oh, Zoe. I'm sorry. Zoe Zeigfeld, um, who it looks, it, she's also billed as just a sideshow performer, but it looks like she does a lot of burlesque. So, um, and then jo Justin Yo-Yo Weber, who is a yo-yo performer. So you can find all those Man, people on Instagram. lucky that that's his name. That, I know. That worked out great, didn't it? <laughs> so there you go. That's a... Uh, that's sideshows. I was shows thinking about uh, you and the sideshow camp, and I was like, yeah, the closest thing you ever got to anything like that was when you played with the Tiger King's Tigers. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. 
She was a so, young kid. I was. I was. Oh God, how old was I? I think I was a sophomore. I was a sophomore, or junior in high school. And what had happened? So it's important to understand. I grew up in a town of like 800 people, right? Nothing interesting ever fucking happened. And um, one of the neighboring towns one day, my sister and I were like, we're gonna go see a movie. So we went to the mall, um, and they had, they had uh, this like exotic animal show, whatever, had brought in <coughs> these, there were, there were um, a couple of baby tigers, and then there were some other animals, but I can't remember what they were. And it was like, if you give us 30 bucks, you can just sit in the pen and play with these baby tigers for like 10 minutes, whatever. And so we were like, we're gonna do it. And we did. And he was super cute. And his, his name was like, Panari or something like that. And I still have the pictures on Facebook, but I can't look at them anymore because I'm ashamed. Um, so basically then when Tiger King came out, this story ran in the newspaper from that from the town Fremont. Um, and it was like, yeah, back in 2009, 2010, those it was a company that was like owned by Joe Exotic Zoo or like affiliated with them or something. And so they're like, yeah, there's a very good possibility these were like Joe Exotic Tigers. And I was like, because <laughs> I like, oh, so that's a thing. Yeah, it made me feel really fucking awful. So, yeah. But anyway, so free shows. Actually, I would argue that the closest that I came to uh, learning how to be a freak show performer was the two summers that I spent in a summer stock theater living and working with uh, 14 other actors. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Some weird stuff happened, man. But anyway, no, that was the greatest two summers of my whole entire life. So yeah, there you go. That's uh, free Boom. shows pretty good learning some stuff yeah what did you learn what were you the most shocked by i'm gonna learn about this tall guy you're gonna learn more about the tall guy yeah okay that's because i want to know his life yeah he is adam's hero of the week Ooh. not the uh not the two siamese twins who somehow had 21 <laughs> children no, no, I, I like I like the tall guy, right. Jack uh, Jack Wyatt, Jack Girl, Jack Earl, Jack Earl, Jack Earl, Jack Wyatt. You know, I just watched Bewitched the other day. I didn't know that was his name. Yeah, that's uh, Will Ferrell in Bewitched. And somebody else before that. Jack Wyatt. Yeah, Bewitched is a TV show. No, 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 no. His so oh, the movie yeah, Bewitched, yeah. yeah, he plays an actor named Jack Wyatt who is redoing. Because um, what Darren, the the original actor that played Darren, his name's Dick York, I think, something like that. But and then he got replaced. <laughs> I used to watch Bewitched religiously when I was a child. That and I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah, we loved so. Teeny Bee Land in my household. Yes, go. Jack Earl is Adam's hero of the week. All right. And if you've watched or if you listen to this show, you know, Adam likes to pick a hero of the week. Mm -hmm. We should start. We should make that like a thing, like at the end of every every episode. We'll do like a little segment. And you'll be like, Adam, who's your hero of the week this week? Yep. Before We're going to start doing that. We had Congressman Ryan. Yeah. Uh, Brad Weaver. Brad Weaver. Yeah. yeah. He was Adam's hero of the week. I think, we're, I think those were the only two. We'll start. We'll start picking one going forward. So that's a new thing. But all right. Uh, so I will put up some pictures of the sideshow performers and other such things um, on the Instagram. And Jack Earl. It's a sideshow performer, babe. Well, I'm just. Saying. And and Adam's hero of the week. Um, I would like to say that he would probably like to be referred to as an actor. Oh, for sure. I again. All of these people can be considered actors. Well, he really was an actor. They've got well, he really was an actor, but like they've all got backstories that they have to pretend to live, right? So, yeah. what is that but acting? Um, so yeah, my Instagram is don't touch that it's haunted. Uh, you can email me at don't touch that it's haunted at gmail.com. Please rate, review, subscribe everywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Tell a friend. 
learned about us because uh, word of mouth is a great way to get it going too. So yeah, anything else you want to say this week? Jack Earl is officially at billed as an American film actor. You go, bruh. Oh, born in Denver, Colorado, died in El Paso, Texas. Nice. All my heroes. Uh, his Paso. height, oh, he's listed as 7'8 on the Wikipedia. There you go. So there you go. I'm going to learn more. All right. Well, everybody have a very, very happy and safe New Year's. Again, nobody say that this is their year. Everyone tiptoe into it gently. And uh, Everybody thank 2020 for being there. As if it's your mother-in-law. Thank her for coming to your party. Just smile and wave and pretend that you don't hate it with all of your heart. And say, yes, of course we'll come for Christmas next year. So. Yeah. And drink a, drink a twisted tea. Drink a twisted tea. Um, also, as this year comes to a close, just take a moment to realize how resilient you are how creative this year made you and how much you overcame because i think that we've all forgotten that um i think we're all just like you know this year's been shitty because it has been but when you take a minute to realize everything you overcame it's quite a lot yeah we should all be very proud of ourselves dun, dun, dun. exactly all right with that it is oh my god it's 11 o'clock i have to work in the morning yep stuck yet all right. Um, yeah, so everybody have a nice weekend. Just remember, don't touch that. It's haunted. It's haunted.